This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. You know, I don't know about you, but I have this tendency to always want to learn more and more stuff. Like, you know, I learn one jazz improv tool or trick or concept and I just want to go on to the next one because maybe that next one has the answer that I'm looking for to start cracking the code, to start playing the jazz solos that I've always dreamed of. But, you know, sometimes we actually can just use the tools that we already know, the scale we already know, the chord tones we already know. Whatever it happens to be for you, there are a million different ways to just use the tools you already have available to you to create really awesome music. Now, this is just only one of the many concepts that I talk about with my guest today, Matt Warnock from Matt Warnock Guitar, Uh, and we just have a great time talking, and there's just so many gold nuggets in this episode, including about his three things that he really feels has packed a big punch in his jazz playing and taken him to the next level over the years and kept him really nice and busy. Ready for this? Let's do it. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. Hey, what's up, everybody? Brent here from LearnJazzStandards.com, which is a blog, a podcast, and videos geared towards helping you become a better jazz musician. Welcome back to the show. This is your uh, millionth time listening. Just kidding. There's not been a million episodes. This is episode 249. Or if you're this is your first time ever listening, we do interviews like today's episode. And we also do lots of solo episodes with me teaching you the tools, tactics, tricks, strategies, all the things for becoming a better jazz improviser. So glad you're here. Like I said, my guest is Matt Warnock from Matt Warnock Guitar. Uh, He is a a phenomenal jazz guitarist, first of all, but he's an even more well-known and phenomenal jazz educator. And he's helped over 10 million guitarists learn how to improvise and play jazz since launching in 2011. Even if you're not a guitarist today, we, we don't really just talk about guitar. We talk about jazz in general. And so you're going to just absolutely love this. And of course, if you are a guitar player, you should definitely check out Matt at mwgcourses.com. mwgcourses.com is where you can find uh, him and learn more about him as well. But that's enough of me talking about him. Let's go ahead and get on Matt Warnock. So welcoming on the show is Matt Warnock. He's a guitar player. He's helped over 10 million guitarists learn how to play jazz since launching his website in 2011. And he is a brilliant educator. Welcome on the show, Matt. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. This is great. Yeah, this is really awesome. Uh, I've been on your show before, and uh, we've gotten to know each other just in the last month, and it's been uh, just really awesome to talk to a fellow guitar player uh, and uh, you know just catch up and, and get to know each other. So uh, this has been a lot of fun, and would love to just start by by asking you like, hey, how did you get into jazz, and you know what what was your journey there? Like, did you start by were your parents listening to jazz? What was the, the story oh. behind that? <laughs> yeah. So my parents. Um, 
I'm going to date myself, but my parents had a record player in the house. Um, and the only records I listened to of my parents back in the eighties would have been John Denver live, which I still listen to. Nice. I love John Denver. He's my guilty pleasure, <laughs> um, but John Denver live. And then, um, they had like the Led Zeppelin four album, but like the original LP from the seventies, you know, like from early seventies, they still had the original LP. I remember listening to that. Oh, I love Zeppelin. Yeah, me too. I mean, I was a huge Zeppelin fan when I was younger. I still am. Um, and then my parents got a CD player and it became like Phil Collins and all that kind of stuff. Like, that, <laughs> you know, like pop the, radio. Now, Phil Collins is guilty pleasure music for sure. Like you hear, you hear Phil Collins and you're like, I don't know if I should like this or not, but I do like it. You know, like, oh, you, yeah, you get so into it. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'll tell you a really funny story about Phil Collins. So I did my um, my doctorate at the University of Illinois, which has one of the best like new music theory departments. And, I, you know, I was in jazz, but my my cognate, which is like a minor, was in classical composition, it was in 20th century composition, basically. Um, and so I took this really advanced 20th century theory class and the teacher um, was teaching about the golden mean and how to use like Fibonacci series and composing and all these examples of like different mathematical formulas. So we're looking at like Scriabin and all this crazy stuff. And then we get to like Phil Collins and he plays <laughs> in the air tonight. And he says, you know, this song is so popular because the human brain expects that drum beat. That's the golden mean. Yes. And so he, and the so he played it. I know. And, and so he played this and we we're all like, okay, this is a little strange, but it totally worked. <laughs> so in this very advanced 20th century theory class, we're listening to like, you know, Shostakovich and then getting into like Phil Collins. Yeah. So, I mean, it's sort of like a weird le- lesson in itself is that what I mean, good music just sounds good. You know, it's not really a lesson, but you know, the simplest <laughs> things can be so amazing, right? It's really more about like what feels good, you know, when you're trying to oh, play. Absolutely. Not always about like, that, you know, the most crazy technical thing ever. Or is no, it? No, no. And that's and I that feel like it's a beat. sin to say in the jazz circles, right? And it, it, it you know. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, I, yeah, it is. Um It's not cool train changes, what is it, you know? <laughs> no. But, you know, I I like a lot of um guilty pleasure music myself. Like I you know, so I grew up listening to like, you know, John Denver and Phil Collins. And, Is there one that like you're it, particularly embarrassed of? Like that you like you almost don't want to say it? Oh, sure. Well, I don't really care because people can laugh at my musical taste all that they want. But um, <laughs> uh, I actually really like like um, uh, what would you call it? Like, uh, is it deep house music? It's okay. like house music that mi- that mixes in jazz, so it's like EDM but mixed with like j- like like there'll be like a jazz beat. They're doing like I don't know. They're they're, they're remixing Oasis Wonderwall, and over top of it is like a ripping trumpet solo. Yeah, you know. But it's got this like kind of kind of like pulse to it. So yeah. it's like electronic music mixed with jazz. I love that kind of stuff. I'll listen to that all You're day. You're gonna have to send me some examples of this. That sounds sure <laughs> kind of cool. <laughs> I'm sure I've yeah, heard there's... like stuff like that, but it, just the way you're describing it sounds cool. Yeah, and then, well, there's a. I, I have Sirius in the car, Sirius XM, and there's a radio station. It's called. I think it's called Chill Grooves or something, or Chill something. Yeah, and it's just that twenty four seven, just that music twenty four seven. What channel and is there's that? Some, I have, I have Sirius XM too. To, I invested. Yeah, I'll have to send it to you. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. Um, there's that one, and then um, I love like uh, uh, I, I like doom metal. Yeah. So doom metal is a, is a type of heavy metal that came out of Black Sabbath. Right. So, so if, if you like Black Sabbath, it's kind of like 
the lineage of Black Sabbath to today of that style of music. Now, is it like um, growl, like the growling and all that stuff? Or no, I no, I don't really like the growling. It's more like um, or the guttural singing. That stuff turns me off of metal. Like if it if it gets like Same. that um, black metal stuff, it's. A, I like the music. It's just the growling isn't for me. Yeah, same. But this same. is more like, uh, yeah, it's more like like metal vocals, like you think of Black Sabbath or Iron right. Maiden or something. Like there's there's actual melodies and stuff, and but it's just like drone, you know, you know like triple drop detunings and like oh you know, yeah, I mean complex yeah. time signatures and like oh we're going five over eight to seven over four, you know, oh, all this yeah. kind of stuff. That, that kind on. of stuff was yeah. like my my total jam back in the day. The prog metal stuff, I love that stuff. I mean, yeah, I still do like fun. that stuff. It's great, you know? Yeah. Um, so if you've seen my Spotify playlist, it'll be like Coltrane to West Montgomery to like Sleep, which is a doom metal band, to like EDM <laughs> with like a trumpet solo on it. <laughs> like whatever, you know? Nice. It's just kind of like everything. Um, but good music is good music. You know? Good music is good music for sure. So you kind yeah. of alluded to it a little bit that actually you're kind of like... I mean, outside of like just the musical inf- influences you're listening to, it's kind of more of a classical like training. Would you would would you say that or? Yeah. So my parents didn't have a lot of jazz music around the house. None. Yeah, <laughs> zero us growing up. Yeah, but they did. My mom forced me to play piano at the age of six because they had a piano in the house, and every yeah. kid had to play had to take piano lessons and practice thirty minutes a day. So from the age of like six to fourteen, I played thirty to sixty minutes of piano every day and did recitals, and I got. In Canada, we have a great system. I got to grade eight, which is like a college kind of level, prep level. Yeah. Um, and I did all that. I did all the, and then alongside the grades of playing piano, I also did all the theory grades. And I got up to a college level in theory. So I did all the harmony and counterpoint stuff and analysis courses and everything. So even though, like, you know, in high school, even before I got into jazz, I was like listening to Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and Pink Floyd and you know Pearl Jam and stuff, Nirvana, but I was hearing it with a classical sensibility because that's all my training was at the time as far as musician was classical piano and and theory. Um, and so, yeah, I, I always have that kind of ear, I guess, for it because that's how I was trained as gotcha. a kid yeah. or expo- exposed to it, you know. We were discussing on your podcast, Guitar guitar Life, whatever, right? Did I get that right? Yeah. Guitar, yeah, it's, your podcast. Yeah. it's a great podcast, by the way. You should check it out. Oh, thanks. Yeah. But... Uh, <laughs> Well, you don't need to check it out, but I was talking to the audience. <laughs> I listen to it all day, every day, just in the background. You all like the repeat time. your episodes. <laughs> like, you're like, I really want to hear what I said. Oh, that was a great thing I just said. Yeah. Oh, and I just God. skip all the guest stuff. I just fast forward. It's just me all day long. You know? <laughs> that was a clever response, Matt. Great job. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. We were talking about a little bit on your show. We were kind of talking about how like my, ex- my training was so like very different. The, you, you were saying mm-hmm. piano and it's so funny because... I always had like this ear for music. I I was like the opposite of the classically trained guitarist who like learns how to read really good. Like the reading for me had to come later and I still wouldn't consider myself like a Mm. phenomenal reader. Um, But, you know, I remember I, I, we had a piano too. My siblings, like they, they were had to learn the piano, but my parents let me have a pass on it. Cause like I was so into, into guitar. So uh, it was yeah, fine. Yeah. But then eventually I was like, you know, I would always just kind of improvise on the piano, you know, not difficult stuff. And, but like, I would kind of just figure stuff out my own. So like, ah, maybe Brent should take piano too. And, um, literally we had like an electric piano where like you could record on it, I guess. Oh, nice. And so the teacher would, would come over to the house and, like she would record the 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 piece and then the, the, there would be the music in front and 
I would struggle so hard with like reading the music on the sheet. Like it just wasn't like my brain math. It just wasn't computing. I was also really bad at math when I was a little kid. But anyways, (laughs) that's, I don't know if those two go together or not, or just in my head, but uh, I would literally like to try to essentially fake it. I would just learn, like I would just listen to the piece by ear and just slowly figure it out. Like it probably took me way longer if I just learned how to read properly, but I would just kind of like learn it by ear. And then later on, like, it, you know, as I got older and more, even more into playing music and, you know, wanting to make something of it, it you know, my, my, my teachers like didn't even really teach me theory for a long time. It was, it was just learning stuff by ear. So I, I just think it's interesting that the contrast in yeah, my experience was much different. <laughs> I think um, I think there was a short period. Bef- there might have been a short period in my early life where I could read music before I could really read words. Because um, I was always playing at the, at the piano. Now it might have been that's just my memory because that was thirty five years ago or something. But I remember like yeah, being able to read music very young because that's just how I thought you played music was someone put this piece of paper in front of you and I looked at it and interpreted it and I read it. You know, um, so yeah, around five or six, I could, I could read music on the piano. Um, so that's like kindergarten, grade one. That's kind of when I was ready to read books, you know, that is, that's, um, that's really cool. Yeah, it was really cool. Jealous. It kind of, um, <laughs> yeah, well, it did help out a lot later on when I got serious about guitar and I went to school and did all these like reading gigs and stuff. Like I could just go and read. I mean, I just always assumed that you know, anybody could read on guitar like I could. And it, that wasn't the case. <laughs> yeah, it turns out it's stuff. actually very not the case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just like, oh yeah, let's just jam this duo. And I'd pop like a Bartok piece in front of someone and we'd read the violin parts and they'd be on note two and I'm just like flying like through Like sweating it, you know? and like their like heartbeat is like raising. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I was raised more like a piano player where you just, yeah. it's just assumed that you read like you read words. Right. So but um, I remember when I first got my when I got my first guitar, I was 15 or so. It was in 10th grade, and they had a, a high school guitar class. So my parents rented me a, a guitar and said, "If you like it, for, you know, you can try it for six months, and we'll buy you one if you dig it." And so I got the guitar around Christmas before the class started, and I had all these piano books. And so I was just like, okay, well, that's an E on the piano. That's an open E string. So that means that that first fret is an F. And I just started finding the notes. And I had this arrangement, like a pian- like solo piano version of Stairway to Heaven. This like sheet music I bought as a kid. And it was like one of those like arranged for solo piano. So like the melody and some of the kind of chords, some of the guitar parts and some of the bass parts. It was all kind of like very like easy piano arrangement. Yeah. Um, and I just kind of figured out where all the notes were on the guitar. And I just, I just read it even before I knew what I was doing. I didn't know what the C chord was or the G or whatever chords I was playing. I was just like, oh, that tells me to play that note. And I would just kind of find it. And that was one of the first things I found. Now, I couldn't play it technically very well, but I would, that's how I kind of taught myself to transplant the piano onto the fretboard was just like, Oh, that's an F. Well, that's an F on the, on the score. So I can play that. And I would just do that. Well, that's fascinating. That's really fascinating. It's weird. It's really strange. I mean, I I think it's really, (laughs) for me, I think it's really, really cool. And so I, I know that a lot of, of, uh, I, I have a lot of like classically trained, like, like pianists, especially who will join my membership or just join my community. And like their thing is, like they're they're not terrified of reading like the rock guitarists and jazz you know like jazz guitarists or or even like other other musicians um like they're they're not they're afraid of reading more perhaps maybe not the saxophone players it's mostly yeah. the guitar players let's be honest they're scared <laughs> <laughs> like they're they, like the learning by ear we isn't a reading. big the learning by ear isn't quite as big of a deal but um 
the reading is terrifying. But for the classical folks, like they're like, like the reason that they're interested is because they're like, I really want to learn how to improvise and it terrifies me. Was that like a, a similar experience for you or are you kind of just like, no, I'm good at everything anyways. So no, uh, yes and no. Cause I liked what you said about singing at the piano and having the electric piano. Cause when I was a kid, I had to, same on a put the same keyboard <laughs> and I had a headphones on. My parents would say, okay, go practice your 30 minutes. And it was like four o'clock on a Tuesday or something. And I would go, okay, I'll go back in 30 minutes. And I would put this like Bach or something piece in front of me, like a minuet or something. And I would do this thing. Cause at the time I was probably 12, 13 years old. And I just thought I had heard Hendrix play the, the national anthem at Woodstock. I had heard that recording. Um, and so I was like, Oh, I'm going to Hendrix this minuet. Because what Hendrix did on, like, what, how I interpreted it at the time was that Hendrix took the national anthem and then just played around with it, yeah. right? So it was there, but then he just twisted and turned it. He didn't, like, completely improvise off the top of his head. He improvised with a structure. And as a kid, I can understand that coming from classical piano. I was like, oh, well, if I can just take this scale that I learned and connect these notes that way. And I just started to improvise. I would spend the whole half an hour just playing through the same one page of music and just improvising it differently every time. Yeah. Um, but that was... I wouldn't say that was happening by ear. It was more just by intuition, I guess, you know, cause I knew my scales and I would kind of guess and I would play all sorts of terrible. I'm sure it, was, it sounded off, but at of least course. I was experimenting and, and trying and, and trying to do that stuff. So, um, when I got to playing jazz later on, I relied a lot on my, on my theory ability and my intellect and understanding of music. Cause I had been playing music since I was six years old. So yeah. I, I understood a lot. And I used that to help me as my ear got more in tune with like the jazz sounds and, and that sort of thing. So my ear was actually pretty bad for jazz when I first started. Um, I'll never forget my very first transcription was Wes Montgomery. I'm moving along. I got mm-hmm. to my um, first like real jazz teacher and he's like, yeah, you're going to transcribe this. Cause he could see that I had some chops and I could play and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I went and I, and I wrote it all out like a third away from where it was. It was like completely wrong. I mean, it was all correct. Like the intervals were all correct, but I didn't know how to transcribe. So I just got the first note, what I thought the first note was, which I didn't get right. But then I had pretty good relative pitch and I could, I could write it all out. And I just kind of wrote it all out and brought it in. Um, but that same teacher made me do a full transcription a week for two years to get my ears caught up. And that's great. After two years, my, my ears were caught up with my peers. And, and I then did, I, could I did a similar thing. I didn't stuff. have to write it down, but I had like for one year, I had to learn 32 bars of a solo every single week, mm. which was a lot of, a lot of work, but I think it paid awesome. off. You know, I think it was helpful. Oh yeah. 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 What, what I thing mean, that, Oh, sorry. Go for You were going to say, I was going to say, if you're crazy like us and you want to do this like all yeah, the time, right, that, exactly. That, that's yeah, very valuable. Yeah, but <laughs> sometimes like casual I, jazz I, guitarist. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I hesitate to like say those things like publicly because yeah, yeah. I know some of the listeners are like, Oh no, do I have to do yeah, that yeah. in no, order to don't. be good? And you don't, you totally don't. It's just only if you're save your sanity, huge yeah. jazz obsessed nerds like Matt and Brent, then you're going to do yeah. that. You don't need to do that. But um, something that stuck out to me earlier that you said that I, for some reason, my brain just latched onto it was you, you said that you did a lot of experimenting. Um, I couldn't help but think to myself, like, I feel like as far as we talk about mindset of becoming a better jazz musician and an improviser, ex- like allowing yourself to experiment and, and also to fail is actually a big part of it. Right. Cause if oh, sure. some of us hate that, some of us hate like experimenting and it not working out very well. Um, Mm -hmm. but I feel like improvisation 
and becoming better at it is often trial and error. Uh, would you agree with that? Oh, tons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's giving ourselves the permission to be bad at something for a while until we get better at it. And that's just something that I think our modern society struggles with in general. Like yeah. people don't want to be bad at anything um, for any amount of time. It seems like they get very frustrated easily, myself included. If I had yeah. a golf or something, I'm just like, well, screw this. I can't do this. You know, one day I'm not, I'm not Tiger Woods. Oh, I quit. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> yeah. um, and it, there's a little bit of that. And I think, um, but I think if we can get around that or figure out a way to just say like, yeah, it's okay to just suck at something and have fun sucking, you know, yeah. like, that's what I did as a kid when I was Hendrixing these like minuets and jigs and stuff is I was just having fun sucking at something, but it was the experience of just experimenting. That's what I enjoyed. I didn't care what the end result was at the time. If, if it sounded great or not, I was just like, Oh cool. I can do this thing. I can do that thing. And you know, and I was just having fun with the exploration. And that's what I try to instill in people. Um, when I, teacher i show people stuff is you know just experiment and find your way to do it and be cool with that like experience you know like there's a joy in, in experimenting and you know exploring new ideas and just sort of workshopping ideas on the fretboard and so if it sounds good yet that's whatever it is but you know enjoying that experimentation i think is really important if we can do that we'll enjoy playing you know? yeah absolutely I'm, i the, i may have thrown this quote on the podcast before do you know bruce foreman by any chance the guitar player yeah. i don't yeah. know him personally but yeah he's a, yeah i i've, I know I've studied him. with yeah. him a little bit and uh one thing he told me once this is like years ago when i was like i don't know i was still in high school or something or no maybe i was i don't know i don't know when it was but um i think he noticed that i was just like frustrated all the time because like i listened to so much jazz and like i knew like what i wanted to sound like and i like I definitely had skills and I could improvise and stuff, but I just wasn't there. And I, I probably took it too seriously. And I was, you could just tell that I was frustrated. And one time he, he, he took me aside and he was like, Hey Brent, you know, just play from where you're at now. And I don't think he, he definitely did not mean like, you know, don't try to play better. Like that's not what he was saying. He wasn't saying don't try to improve. I, but I think he was trying to say essentially what you just said, which is like, just have fun sounding like the way you sound right now and enjoy the process of it because in general with music, it's not just jazz it's all music like if you don't enjoy the process of improving and learning it can be very difficult to not get discouraged and throw in the towel on it um or <laughs> or you'll start comparing yourself to the next musician you you'll, you hear and that's not going to really help you improve quicker in the long run if that's your goal um so enjoying the process, it's got to be, I don't know, I almost want to say like, it's like more, your mindset is like more important than actually the technique mm -hmm. and the skills and all those lessons you can learn about actually improvising. Oh, sure. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's kind of difficult because in jazz, we often equate like more knowledge with sounding better, especially when we're beginning. It's like, oh, if I learn two more scales, I'll be twice as good or whatever, right? Yeah. But, but the great players, when you start to analyze, you know, through all these transcriptions, one of the things I learned that was really helpful for me on the mental side of things was like, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, John Abercrombie just played a pentatonic scale for that entire solo. Now he twisted and turned it and did all sorts of crazy things with it. But he was able to create this amazing solo with like a small amount of information. Right. Or Jim Hall is just that really cool lick was just him skating up the strings on a scale on two strings rather than playing it vertically. He played it horizontal. Like, so it's like, oh, that's something crazy. It just he was creative with a device. Right. And so I think yeah. if people give themselves a chance to be creative with what they learn and that's not like 
okay, I learned to scale today and I'd be creative with it for an hour and tomorrow I'll move on. But it's like, oh, I got this scale. How much can I unpack with it? And, and you know, expand it and experiment with it. Then I think we get a lot more out of our practicing and we enjoy it a lot more. And we kind of take the pressure off of like, oh, if I don't learn two, you know, two new scales this week, I'm going to sound terrible. It's like, well, you know, I can, I can do as much with a major scale as most people. And I don't need all those other things if I don't want to. Now, if I choose to use an altered scale or an arpeggio or a substitution, I can do all those things, but I can also be super creative with a small device. And I think that's, to me, is the joy of it. It's just, okay, I've learned this new thing. Now give myself permission to explore it as long as needed. And then when I feel I, I need something else or I'm ready for something else, then moving on rather than like every week has to be a new thing. And yeah because that's a lot of pressure for people oh absolutely i think a lot about chord tones like as a basis Mm -hmm. for improvisation and like that's only four notes like that's only four notes if you listen to thelonious monk actually like he does a lot of that business like just kind of tons playing with the chord tones a lot and like not even playing too much like he does play a lot of stuff outside of that but you'll hear him just really focusing on those but he does it in such a way that that makes them sound like amazing kind of makes me think a little bit about I mean, I'm sure folks in the audience and you're familiar with the 80-20 rule, the Pareto principle. Mm-hmm. What does it say? Like 80% of the results are uh, accomplished by 20% of the actions. Is that get that right? Yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah, essentially. yeah like tw- 20% of your effort gives you 80% of the results. Exactly. Like yeah. 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 I'm wondering for you, so in, specifically to you, because it could be different for different people, but mm-hmm. what are those things that you worked on or that that really have had the big impact for you that focusing on those and kind of casting aside some of the other, like, you know, sea of other things you could possibly be doing. Um, well, three things that I come back to all the time and surprise myself with how much more there is to learn. <laughs> the first is uh, guide tones, like the Lenny bro style comping, which is yeah. based on guide tones plus extensions. You, I mean, I could do that for the rest of my life and sound great. There's just so much to explore and I would enjoy it. Um, and so Guide tones are to me are really one of those things that can never you can never stop studying. Agreed. You know, I mean, yes, yeah, and and you can expand them to as much you know as complicated as you want, or you can shrink them down to as simple as you want, and anything in between. You know. And for those who don't so. know what guide tones are, guide tones, at least as it pertains to jazz, and tell me if you have any other definition, are the thirds and sevenths of each chord, and the reason that being is because generally when you look at the different the five different qualities of seventh chords. It's the thirds and the sevenths that are changing that really kind of make it, especially when it comes to major and minor. Those are really defining the difference between those chords. So if you're targeting any one of those, and I would say, especially if you resolve to a third, it's really going to kind of, you know, it's like a pop of flavor, right? It's like, ah, now I know what flavor I'm tasting, sort of. Yeah. And as a comper too, for there's piano. So like for piano players who are listening, it's kind of like your left hand is often guide tones in a jazz setting, thirds and sevenths, and then colors yeah. on top. And, and Lenny bro was a player who first did this. I think he was one of the first people. He's the first person to popularize anyways. I'm taking that approach onto the guitar where your third and seventh are always the two lowest notes of any chord. And then if you want, you put extensions on top you put ninths, 11, 13 that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, you can do it from a soloing perspective and from comping. So it's really, it, you know, you can go so in depth with that concept, especially on guitar where you can do both comping and soloing, right? Like it's just never ends. Right. Um, and it's also like, yeah. when you think about guide to like, and just to like kind of expand people's imagination a little bit, it's like, so it's one thing to, you know, map out the guide tones, like, you know, playing the guide tones or maybe adding voice leading is a great thing to do to try to do that. But, you know, how many different ways can you figure out how to resolve to that guide tone? I mean, that's just one possibility, right? When it comes to guide oh, sure. tones. 
Yeah, because then you got all the enclosures and the approach notes and passing notes and just all the Parker approaches and Joe Pass. I mean, yeah, every player had their own way of targeting those guide tones, which you can learn. And yeah, it just never ends. Nice. Um, so guide yeah, tones. Yeah, so guide tones. And then the, the other two, which um, the first one is triads, which Adam Rogers hit me to. So Adam Rogers is the New York guitarist, plays a lot with Chris Potter. Yeah. Um, I used to see him play in Chicago when I used to live in Illinois. And I talked to him a few times and I uh, got really into his music. Um, and, uh, there was one summer where I took, uh, I think it's art of the infinite. That's the name of the album. And I wrote out the entire record. I just transcribed the whole record and I analyzed it. And I realized that like all the licks that I was like, that's the coolest lick ever that Adam plays were all triad based. Wow. And I was like, wow, there's a lot of stuff in there. (laughs) He plays a whole bunch of other stuff as well. Right. He loves like harmonic major modes and different things that he used. Um, sort of more out there stuff, but I was like, wow, there's a lot of triads here and they're super effective. So I was like, I should go back and spend some more time with triads. And this was like 10 years ago. And ever since then, it's like every year I spend a month or two just digging into triads further and see what else I can do with them. Describe maybe one of those discoveries with triads that you found was uh, particularly insightful with your improv. Okay. So what I sort of figured out is um the major triad is a great place to just go deep on so you can look at diminished triads on triads minor triads but a lot of players will do stuff where okay they have a g7 chord okay well you can use f major to get kind of a sus sound mm-hmm. just an f major triad um you can combine f major and g major to kind of go outline six of the seven notes in the mode right yeah. so you're getting a mixolydian mode but you don't sound like mixolydian that's the whole for me the the reason to use something like a triad is to sound a scale or to sound a chord sound like a, a full length chord without just playing an arpeggio without just playing a scale. Right. Like you break it up into different chunks. So it sounds new and fresh, but it's still the same outline. Yeah. So like a mixolydian outline would be F plus G equals G mixolydian right over a G seven. If you want to get Lydian dominant, it's G plus a. Yeah. Cause the a gives you the sharp 11. So, but it's just all one major triad. So on guitar, if you can just play one major triad, you can slide that around and get a Mixolydian sound and a Lydian dominant sound with one shape. Right. Right. Yeah. Especially helpful really... for guitar players. If you have a shape based instrument, it, it's really visual, I guess. Whereas if you're yeah. a saxophone player, it may not be as visual, but yeah. Yeah. But you can still just work on major triads and nail them, you exactly. know, cause there's only 12 of them. Right. So if you learned all 12, then you could just apply them differently. So doing that kind of stuff and then saying like, Oh, well, what if I took F G and a, and just consider that a G seven sound and some of it had a sharp 11, some of it didn't and just combining those kind of sounds. And then doing stuff like, um, okay, well, I'm going to do tritone sub, but with the triad. So I would do G, C sharp, G, C sharp, but all just major. These are all just one shape and just manipulating it. And then you could do stuff like Coltrane. So you could do G major triad to a B major triad to an E flat major triad to a, it's like giant step, but just with the triads. Right. So do that kind of stuff. Or but then just resolving like, to, so it's sort of like you're superimposing stuff over yeah. top of the, the chord changes. But it's, it sounds like you're playing out for a second, but then you're resolving back to exactly. the diatonic chord, right? So it's it's cool. Yeah, it works. As long as you, as you resolve back. Yeah. That's the key. That's the key. Don't, you know, veer off the road. That's so. it. So for me, there's like the Woody Shaw approach. So Woody Shaw liked to divide the octave in half. So you would say, if it's a G7 chord, I'll blow between G7 and C sharp. That's the half of the octave. That's the tritone. So I could take those major triads. Coltrane liked to divide the octave into three. So he would say, there's a G triad, a B triad, an E flat triad, and you're back to G. That's stacking major thirds. And if you keep going up, you get back to the root. Right, right. right. Um, Rosenwinkel liked to do stuff where he would say, or likes to do stuff, where you divide it into four. 
So you basically harmonize a G diminished using major triads. He likes to use major seven arpeggios and stuff, but you would say like G triad to B flat triad to D flat triad to E triad back to a G triad. So you can take this as far as you want, right? And that's just with one shape. I haven't learned any other shapes in the guitar. I've just learned one major triad, but I've applied it to all these different things. Then you add approach notes, enclosures, sidestepping, um, approach chords. So instead of just doing G to B flat, it's G, A, B flat. C, D flat, E flat, E, you know, G flat, G. You can approach every chord with an extra added try. I mean, like, I'm sure most people are glazing over at this point, but this is, <laughs> I'm just sort of saying this just to show you how in-depth just a three-note major yeah. triad can be forever and, that, and ever. And that's and ever. the most important thing about what you said, how much you can learn just from that. And it's about learning one, uh, like one concept there, right? Mm-hmm. One, you know, one of those things. And maybe that will be something that just like, spark something for you that makes sense Mm -hmm. sometimes you'll learn something i don't know if you've experienced this sometimes you'll you'll learn something um i find this with theoretical approaches like sometimes you'll learn a theoretical approach and just won't resonate with you very much it'll just be like "Eh, not really the way i think and then there'll be one that you're like that really makes a lot of sense to me and i can totally see how i can make this musical um so yeah that that totally makes sense you you said three so we got guide tones triads Mm -hmm. what's the third yeah and just to finish up on your topic or oh, yeah, your comment there is, is um i just uh to get over that hurdle of being well this is theoretical how do i use it i always associate it with a player and i take mm, the idea mm. from a player now coltrane used those keys differently like giant steps is dividing the octave into three it's like an harmonized augmented triad i just said well if he can do that with dominant chords and major chords and stuff what i'll just try it with triads right like so yeah. i'm just sort of trying to associate it with a player that i like and that helps me hear that sound when I'm practicing or when I'm using it because it's like, Oh, it's the Coltrane sound and I can do it that way. You know, that makes sort a lot of thing. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then the third one then would be pentatonics. Um, cause those can be, uh, twisted and turned forever and ever. So I think of pentatonics in a couple of different ways. The first way is like, um, kind of like the triads where I can say, if I have a G seven chord, I can play all these different G, you know, like G minor pentatonic, A minor pentatonic, E minor pentatonic. I can go from G major pentatonic to C sharp. I can do the same kind of things. Or I can say, well, I'll just stay on a G root and I'll play a Mixolydian pentatonic, which is yeah. like a major with a six raised to a flat seven. Or I could do a Lydian dominant pentatonic, which is like a Mixolydian pentatonic with a lowered fifth. Like I can alter the pentatonic by a note to get different sounds that I want. So with pentatonics, I can play them from different root notes to create different sounds. I can superimpose them or I can just manipulate them to get the sounds that I want. And because of that, again, it's exponential, you know, infinite possibilities of how much I want to dig into those things. Yeah. Um, those are, those are all good. And those are all really exciting. People also <laughs> probably, when you said pentatonics were like, you know, they were, if, if they were, if they were glazing over, they're like, well, pentatonics, what? So, you know, they're, they're, <laughs> they're totally hyped up about the pentatonics, I'm sure. Um, so those yeah. are great. So guide tones, triads and pentatonics. So, I mean, I, it would be, it would be interesting for, for those listening to, um, if any one of those, it maybe sounds interesting to you, or you haven't explored one of those before to try to start figuring out like, what are some things I could look into that start doing a little bit of research, you know, we're coming up at the end of the year here. Maybe there's something that you can grab onto that you want to try in the new year with your jazz playing that you think might Mm -hmm. be at least something to explore. Um, and I have to pause really quickly because, uh, unless we may end up posting this on YouTube, I'm not sure yet, but everybody listening otherwise will not be able to see your shirt. It says, man, can it, what oh. does it say? A man cannot 
be quarantined alone. He also needs guitar and dogs. <laughs> yeah. Love <laughs> that shirt. Really good friend who, who, yeah, who bought it for me because I have two crazy dogs that are always in my videos and stuff. They always jump on me when I'm trying to teach and <laughs> stuff. They're always around. Oh, that's so. awesome. A friend bought it for you? Yeah, yeah, this shirt, yeah, because he was like thinking of me sitting at home all day just playing guitar in the quarantine and hanging out with my dogs. One of the many <laughs> ways people have capitalized on on the pandemic, right? New t-shirts and <laughs> <Yes>. swag. <laughs> That's it. I was a sucker. Like I got it, you know, and I, I'll wear it, you know. So that's it. Love it. So, I so feel like, um, yeah, go for it. Oh, I was just going to say, just to kind of cap off that last topic there was like, if you think about it from a guitar player's perspective, what are the two things that we learned first? Triads, open chords yep. and pentatonics if you get into soloing. And it's funny because I've done this like total 360 over the past 25 years. It's like, oh, I can play all that stuff. I don't want to ever learn it. And every time I come back to it, I'm just like, oh man, there's so much in triads and pentatonics to explore forever. You know. So it's the fundamentals so it's that oftentimes <laughs> are the things that hold a lot of the secrets no matter what instrument you play the fundamentals can be so pivotal in in mm. i mean there's just a lot there right because a lot of times we want to go to something more complex or we want right. to explore something crazy and new but there's so many answers just in those fundamentals that that we can learn from yeah and just thinking back to all the transcribing i've done kind of just i don't know if i said it in a good enough way earlier, but it's, it's kind of like building on that. It's that, you know, you can look at any player and they have their own things that they do. Abercrombie has different things from miles and miles has different things from Coltrane. I mean, Coltrane could do so much with a one, two, three, five outline. <laughs> and it was like unreal, you know? So I think people, when they're learning again, it's that kind of like, if I learn more, I'm better. Sometimes it's like, well, I know how to do this thing, whether it's a minor pentatonic scale or triad or arpeggio or mode or something. I think we can have a lot of fun in the practice room and we can go a lot further sometimes in our playing if we just say, well, what can I do with what I know? How do I do more with what I know rather than saying, how do I add another device to my playing? So rather than adding a new series of harmonic minor modes or something, we say, oh, well, I know pentatonics. Can I twist and turn those and alter those to get similar sounds or the same result in general? You know? And like a lot of times we can't cool. I love that. I love that. I feel like that applies somehow to life too. Just take the tools that you <laughs> actually have now and figure out how to utilize them better. Um, so that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's really good. Uh, cause I feel like people do get really overwhelmed with jazz, you know, a lot. Mm-hmm. So that, that really helps. Uh, that helps me. I think that helps me to, to make it feel simpler. So this has been a really positive conversation and you're a really positive, very pleasant person, which is great. All but right. uh, Do we need to rain on someone's parade now? <laughs> well, no, well, I want to, well, just, I just want to pose a more negative, qu- I guess it's not that negative, sure. but the question is what, what are some of the the things that you notice in your students? What are some of the common pitfalls? Like where you're like, if, if they just wouldn't do that or some, things that you commonly see in your students, in your community that, you know, tend to not be serving them to help them improve. Yeah. So the biggest one, I think we talked about this in my podcast was um, that no one wins jazz. There's no final boss that you defeat. There's no like trophy at the end, you know, cause people think like, Oh, I have to rush and get through all this stuff because if I don't, then I'm not going to be good. Um, and they end up not enjoying the journey because they're always looking ahead, you know? And I remember hearing Mike Stern talk about this. Mike Stern's an unreal player. 
uh, you know, incredible fundamentals can go yeah. outside and do all this crazy stuff. I mean, you know, he's big on core tones. He talks a lot about core tones and stuff and, uh, but he's just a fantastic player, but he talks about like the more he knows the less or the more he learns, the less he feels he knows. And even he's always exploring new stuff and new stuff and new stuff. Right. So it's like, there's no end. I mean, we can learn new stuff every minute first of our lives in jazz and never get through everything. So kind of like, I think that holds a lot of people back because they think like, Oh, I'm, I'm not progressing because I don't know X, Y, and Z, or I haven't mastered X, Y, and Z. But the reality is the great players and people who do get better over time are the ones that a stick with it. So they stick with it over time. They don't give up on it and B enjoy just the journey of learning. Um, because that's kind of what it is. Is this, if you commit to learning jazz or you say, I'm going to learn how to play jazz, there's no box tick when you're done. You know, it's like, it's so it's like, okay, well, if I'm learning how to play jazz, I think people would get a lot more out of their experience if they just focused on, Oh, cool. I got 20 minutes. I can play jazz. Now I'll learn this new thing. I'll practice this thing and just find joy in that 15 or 20 minutes of playing and not saying like, Oh, I didn't accomplish my goal. I can't play like West Montgomery today. So that, you know, I suck and I'm never going to be good. And I know I'm exaggerating a little bit there, but I get a lot of those kind of comments <laughs> from people. Yeah, me too. Like, oh yeah, I, I can't do this thing right away. And so I, you know, but I think if we just say, you know what? And that's something that I struggle with. I mean, I'm, I'm saying this because this is me too. I mean, yeah. I went through the university system and conservatories and all sorts of stuff. And it was always like, I have to accomplish. I have to accomplish. But I, in the last little while, I spent a lot of mental effort and a lot of therapy money to like figure out how to enjoy playing and enjoy the journey rather than always putting pressure on myself to, a, you know, there's no test on Friday. So I don't have, you know, there's no stress. I can just go play my guitar and I can enjoy the learning and exploring things like triads and pentatonics and guide tones and, and just doing what I want to do with it and then having that freedom to just keep exploring. Yeah. You know? So I think taking that pressure off ourselves is a huge deal because if we enjoy playing, like I always say, there's this positive feedback loop that I'm always trying to create with my students. And that is, you know, if you play consistently and you enjoy playing, you'll get better. Right. And if you get better, you play more. And if you play more, you get better <laughs> and you enjoy playing more. And it's this like feedback loop of like, you enjoy playing. So you play more, so you get better. So you enjoy playing and it just keeps looping around and keeps us involved in music um, and, and just keeps progressing. And I think that's really important because Coltrane used different devices than Wayne Shorter when he played and different, they had different outputs. Is one of them better than the other? No. I mean, they're both incredible musicians, right? So I think comparing and trying to goal oriented practicing is effective sometimes, but sometimes it can be, um, it can be a huge roadblock, like a mental roadblock for people. And so taking that away and just saying, I'm going to explore this G major scale today for a half hour. And that's going to be my practice routine. That could probably be one of the most beneficial practice routines in someone's life, or it could be a waste of time. I don't know. <laughs> like, it's like, but just give yourself the chance to explore and find out. And like you said, fail a little bit sometimes and just learn from that. You know? Yeah. Have you, have you ever read the book, uh, psycho cybernetics? No, I have not. I, I've started reading this book. It's a really interesting book. Like the, I guess like the main idea of the book, there's a lot to it, but the main idea of the book is that your self image kind of dictates a lot of like what ends up happening to you, like your success, your, um, your mindset and your behaviors essentially. Right. Um, and the reason I was just thinking about that just now is because if your mindset 
always goes to, I'm not, I'm not talented enough, right? I didn't get it right away. I wasn't able to play this line or I'm not able to play solos the way I want to right now. I'm probably never going to get it. And I, and I see, and the reason I bring this up too is because I actually see this in my community all the time. I see people presenting these sort of limiting beliefs and I'm in the same boat too. I, I mean, I do it too. Ditto on the therapy money, yeah. but you know, yeah. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but I, I think that's such an important thing to explore is, envisioning what you want to actually sound like and what you actually want and how you actually will feel once you, again, not to say that there's a destination as you really well put, but kind of like what the, the way you would feel if you were able to play solos, the way you would Mm -hmm. want to actually do and imagine yourself in that actual situation and start thinking in that direction even if you don't feel it right now um because it's like you said if you're not actually having fun playing you really are not gonna and 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 usually we're not having fun playing it has everything to do with the way we perceive if we are going to be able to accomplish what we set out to do or not right or it could be outside of that too i'm not a psychologist so (laughs) try to play one but you know, it, it really does have everything to do with, with mindset. It's not just positive thinking either, because you can't just positive no. think your way to, no, you know, I'm going to yeah. be a great jazz musician, you know, I'm going to I'm going to play a great solo over top of Gone with Manifest the Wind. Manifest a Coltrane solo. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right, right. Um, and, you know, you're probably not meant to manifest a Coltrane solo anyways. You're probably meant to manifest a solo that sounds uniquely the way you can play it. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, something that you envision rather than something that you heard somebody else play. In fact, you're more likely to actually put into action something that you've actually played before or an idea you've had in your head than, you know, transcribing. I mean, transcribing is great. It's important to learn the language, but you could learn a million solos and you're never going to sound just like Sonny Stitt or Sonny Rollins or anybody. But you could take things from what you learned from those things and imagine it differently for yourself and that's probably what you're meant to sound like and it's going to take a while to get there so you have to have fun in order for it to have a real impact or else you probably will quit and give up you know very quickly if it's not about having fun end rant oh yeah it's okay that's a good rant i've given that one i've given that rant to many of my students over the years (laughs) but it's uh but that's a common thing and i think to me the other thing that's really, really important about people who want to learn how to play jazz and no they what instrument you're on is what you said earlier about playing, you know, play who you are today, yeah. right? Or play with what you have. Because a lot of people will come into jazz and say like, oh, I need to learn this many modes and this arpeggios and these guide tones and these licks and patterns and memorize all this stuff before I can even start to play. Um, so what I like to do is when someone says, well, I can't play over this tune, is I say, sure you can and we figure out a way that with the devices they have to play over a tune, right? Like if you, you know, one of the things that I like to do just day one, if someone who's never played jazz before is just say, okay, we'll take summertime. I like to do it in A minor, D minor. If you can play a D minor blues scale, you can solo over summertime right yeah, now. You can. Yeah. And people often go like, oh, but I thought I had to learn all these arpeggios and modes and theory stuff. And it's like, well, you might over time, but until you get there, why not just solo and have fun and then add that stuff into your so now you got this this bag that you're building right of, of tricks and tips and stuff and you've got this pentatonic or this blue scale well maybe six months from now you add an arpeggio to it but that doesn't mean you don't improvise for six months because you because you feel you can't it's like well you improvise with what you have 
until you add more stuff. And when you add more stuff, well, now you have more stuff to play with. That doesn't mean we have to wait until a certain day or we pass a certain exam before we learn how to, or we can try improvising. I mean, if people want to improvise, hate to sound like Jamie Abersall, but you know, anyone can improvise and you should do it. You know, like he used to say, if you can play one note on the saxophone, you can improvise. And I totally agree. Yeah. You know, even just root notes through a tune, you could take giant steps. And if you, if you can get fast enough, just switching root notes, you can actually be pretty good with like root notes and approach notes and enclosure. You can without playing a single arpeggio. Now that's an exaggeration of the approach, but um, if you can play something like a minor pentatonic or a minor blues scale, especially guitarists, then there's no reason why you can't learn through doing and, and, you know, enjoying that journey, just improvising every day and getting better as you do. And if you learn a mode, throw it in there and, and combine it with what you already know. Don't throw stuff away, you know, yeah. but just that, just getting started and just having fun because it, for me, it's a lot more fun to solo with a D minor blues scale over summertime. than it is to go practice 17 arpeggio shakes for two months and then try to improvise. Yeah. You know, right. I don't know. That's just my, no, no, I hear you. And I I think also sometimes like what people, I think sometimes what people struggle with too, I'm kind of digging a little bit deeper in between the, the, the lines here, but people feel frustrated because they want whatever tools they have to sound more musical, at least what they perceive to be Mm -hmm. more musical. Like they, they hear, well, this is what so-and-so can play over this, this record that I really like. And I only know the D minor pentatonic scale. And, you know, I love your teaching philosophy. It's, it's a, it's, it's amazing to, 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 to go, I want to take the tools that I already have and make them more musical. But the good news for everybody is that is immediately available to you. And one of the big right. things that I like to preach is composing. Like you could take the summertime and say, I'm going to use the D minor scale exclusively. And I want to figure out how many different melodic ideas I can play over those first handful of chords. And how can I make melodies only using those five notes? You know, we can use mm-hmm. different octaves or whatever, of course, but you know, how can I, how can I make something sound really good just with those five notes? Then how can I compose as many different ideas over that two, five, one using just the minor, you know, our pe- the minor chord tones, the dominant chord tones and the major chord tones. If you just play those like chord tones, like just up and down, it's not going to really sound good. You're going to be kind of disappointed that you learned how to play those chord tones. But if you can figure out as many different ways as possible, how to make actual music with that. And everybody has the ability to do that. As long as you know what you want to hear, you have the ability to do that. And again, if you have the, the grace for yourself to allow yourself to experiment, as we talked about earlier, and to fail through doing it, then you know, you're going to end up coming up with at least some really awesome ideas. And one of them is probably going to really stick in your subconscious and you'll surprise yourself the next time you go to jam and you'll be like, hey, I played it. That's really cool. Right. But it's not a lot Absolutely. of stuff. No. And uh, the example I always use is Kenny Burrell on Chitlin's Con Carne, which every jazz guitar player, like that, that's often like sort of gateway drug to jazz for people is that album because Steve Ray Vaughan played that <laughs> song. Drug. And they go, oh, cool. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's Kenny Burrell. <laughs> and, then, uh, um, and then they're into Coltrane and it's the heavy drugs. But, you know, it, but it's like, you know, <laughs> but they get into like Chitlin's Con Carne and they go, that sounds really cool. I want to be able to do that. And it's like 98% C minor blue scale. I think he plays two E naturals on a C chord in the entire song or something. Entire, so it's just all minor blues, basically. But it sounds unreal, right? And when people hear that and they go, oh, that's a motivational experience, right? So I think that's also important, too, is we've been talking about like experimenting and trying things being more a little bit more abstract, I guess, and less goal-oriented sometimes. But I think sometimes if we can say, like, oh, if Kenny Burrell does that, 
well, then I can do that too. Now I'm not going to sound like Kenny Burrell, but at least I have the tools that he does. And it's kind of like motivating to, to know that a famous player on a really cool solo uses simple devices. It's not always about being complex, you know, and that can be leading people down the road to go, Oh, well then I'll start here and then I can go somewhere else. And, you know, if you get into Grant green and he's using, you know, the bebop scale, well, what is that? Okay. Well now you can add that in, but it's like, yeah, if you can hear a solo that sounds great and you can pull a f- one or two devices that you can play today, that's a huge motivation factor, I think, to keep going and, and to keep practicing. Well, it's like that drum fill on Phil Collins, right? He Yes. He's playing that drum <laughs> fill. Nothing too special about it, but you know it's coming. And when it happens, it feels really good. See how I just brought everything full circle there? That was, that was I know. Brilliant. That See, was this very is, nice. This is one of those podcast episodes where I'll, I'll probably like, you know, listen to it over again, skip you and be like, that was really smart, Brent. Glad you said yeah. that. <laughs> exactly. Just play, your, just play your earbuds all day long, you know, just skip me. That's okay. oh, that was brilliant. Brilliant way you tied in Phil Collins from the beginning of the podcast episode to the very end. Um, exactly. So in the spirit of that, just want to say, Matt, this has been a great conversation. Uh, there's been cool. a lot of gold nuggets inside of all of this. And I would just encourage the audience to, uh, you know, figure out which one of those makes most sense for them and take action Mm -hmm. because dreams and goals are great, but unless you take action, nothing's going to happen. So I want to thank you so much for your time, Matt. This has been a wonderful talk. And, uh, I, I, I have this weird, you know, premonition that you may be on again in the future. Yes. Well, thanks for having me. And you'll be on my podcast again in the future too, I'm sure. So this is really fun. Every time we talk for like about an hour, I'm like, oh, we're just getting started. And then it's kind of the end. You know? so, so I'll have to continue this. But yeah, but thanks for having me. And thanks for your listeners for checking it out. And I hope they found something enjoyable about listening to us rant about improvising. So it was good. All right, that's all for today's show. I want to thank Matt Warnock again for coming on. What a cool guy. Really learned a lot from him, and I know that you did by listening as well. Remember to check him out at mwgcourses.com, mwgcourses.com to learn more about Matt and what he does. All right, so, you know, listen, 2021 is almost among us. It's like a couple weeks away from the time this episode has come out, and I don't know about you, but I want this to be the best year for my jazz playing that it's ever been. Like, I want to reach new levels, new levels of freedom in my jazz improvisation. And if that's you, well, having a goal is great. But what if you had a goal, a strategy, a plan, and a community of others to help you through that? Well, that's exactly what I do in my LJS Inner Circle membership. It includes monthly jazz standard studies. If you want, you can make it your goal to learn 12 jazz standards in a month. In fact, I'm going to be talking a little bit about that in the next episode next week. Uh, There's courses, instruction, actual practice programs that you can follow for months on end. Most importantly, there's a really awesome, vibrant community of like-minded musicians in there, all learning and helping each other together. And you're definitely, definitely going to want to be a part of it. So check that out at ljsinnercircle.com, ljsinnercircle.com. See if it's right for you and commit to your musical growth in 2021. All right. Until next time, I'll see you in the next episode. Happy practicing and cheers. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes. And don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter.
Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.